beautiful kind of brokenness. We worked through the first six chapters together earlier in the year, and then we uh, spent some time um, looking at some other subject matters, one of them being uh, how to walk with God in the dark, and we did that for four weeks. And now the rest of the summer, we're going to be finishing up our First Corinthians series, which starts in chapter 7, and we're going to go all the way to the end of, of the letter. And we're looking at the various aspects that Paul's addressing to the local church that has divided it. And uh, Paul's encouragement is to bring back the unity and the love and the support uh, of the church. And what a great place for us to restart in chapter 7, as Paul describes the church as a family. We are a family. We, and, and even today, this morning, if you look at around and you see all the kids and our high schoolers and our college students and all of our young people uh, and our, our children's ministry in the back, uh, they're all playing back there in the sand. We're, we're a family and everybody is important in a family. And that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is whatever role you play in the family, it's important. And if you read my, my, my little blog this last um, week that helps us get our mind around the passage that we're going to look at, I, I, I said that. Church is a family. A family is made up of all different kinds of roles. Parents, kids, grandparents, pets, aunts and uncles, even long-lost relatives. And I told the story about one of my relatives that I felt like were kind of misplaced. And it kind of broke my heart as a young person to observe what I believed is we had a really good family. We had a, a good family structure, nieces and nephews and uh, uh, you know aunts and uncles and cousins. And, and it was a great family. But I always felt like there was one family that was kind of misplaced or left out, so to speak, in it. And I always watched from a distance. And I remember that as a young person wondering what their role is in our family. When it comes to the church, what I have come to understand is that there are no strays. There's no outsiders. There's no more advantageous role to play in the church. No pushed out relatives. Where you are in life, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is a good place to be. He says over and over again, what we're going to find in chapter 7 is this term, remain as you are. Keep that in the back of your mind. Remain as you are, wherever you are. Whatever role you play in the church family, whatever um, stage of life you're in, whether it's going to change or maybe it's not going to change, Paul is saying is there's no more advantageous role than another. Each of us plays a significant role role in the church god has given it to you right now your status doesn't change the fact that god values you and it doesn't change the fact that god wants to continue growing you spiritually right where you're at i think that's really important for us since we're made up of lots of different people and different places in life and so it it, it 1 Corinthians 7 fits beautifully in this beautiful kind of broken because we sometimes feel like we're broken or we're a misfit or we don't fit or we're not part of it. And what I want to 
encourage you to look at with me just briefly. I'm going to mention three things this morning, and we're not going to have time to cover it all. Bill's going to come back next week and look at one particular aspect of the family, and that's the life of singles in the community of faith, which I think is often so missed. We don't talk enough about the role of singleness and its value in our community. Lots of activity around here, huh? I love this. This is fascinating. This is what you get when you try to do church outside. Who thought of this? It doesn't matter. We're just going to continue teaching God's Word, and we're just going to push through this. Since there's no waves and surfers, I thought we'd just add the uh, tractor as a, another feature of our service. Um, so, when you look at this passage and how it's broken down, the, the first nine verses deal with marriage. And then as you move into the next section, verse 10, all the way to verse 24 of this passage, Paul deals with another subject, and that is divorce and remarriage. It's another important aspect of the life of the community of faith. That when is the right time? Is there ever a right time? What does Paul think about that marriage and divorce? And what was going on in the culture that was um, challenging the family of faith to really look at what God has to say about marriage and divorce and remarriage and all of those things. And then Paul, at the end, verse 25 to 39 of chapter 7, deals with singles. And I think it's really important that his whole section on what he calls, it says in the New American Standards translated virgins, those who are virgins, but it, it means really translated those who are single. And you were single for lots of different reasons. See, we have to understand that. You may be just too young to be married, and you're single because you're just really young. And that's a great place to be, and God values that. Remain where you are, Paul says. And I wrote down a bunch of different categories as I thought about it. Um, maybe you haven't found the right person yet, and that's why you're single. Paul mentions himself in verse 7 that, Yet I wish that all men were even as myself. And Paul had the gift of celibacy, and celibacy was the gift of being single. That Paul leaned into that, thrived as a single man, developing and raising up others in the church. Paul played a key role as one who had the gift of celibacy. And he felt like that was his gift, and so marriage was not an interest to him. It wasn't what he desired. And you may be in that situation. I was talking to James about one of the unique privileges that James has in the Biola University community, and that's working with the LGBTQ community at Biola University that are single men and women asking the question, how, trying to learn from God their place in the community of faith. And often we have no discussion about that part of our community of faith. And at Biola I love the fact that James and others have uh, invested their time to hear and to learn. Because we're always asking the question, whatever category you find yourself in, married, divorced, single, celibate, Paul goes through all of these different options in the family of God. And whatever option you find yourself in, whatever place you find yourself in, we're always asking the same question. What does God say about my role? 
We're always going to God, asking Him. And we're having these wonderful, open, honest dialogues together. Aren't we? That's, that's what I think is so beautiful about the church. Remain as you are. I find it over and over and over in this passage. Remain as you are. Be content with where you are. Remain means to abide. Meno. It's the same word in John chapter 15, where we are to abide. The, the branch is to abide into the root. The tree, the trunk, the branch comes out. It is to abide. It's to remain. It's to be content. It describes our spiritual life. And we are to remain or abide in the role that God has given us. I find that in verse 2. But because of the culture immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about a fulfillment in marriage. He's talking about a great marriage. And Paul wants us to lean into that. If you're in marriage, to have one another, he's describing it in the most intimate way in the first nine verses. That's a PG version, by the way, because we're a family church this morning with kids and everything else. So we won't get into the details, but it is exciting because the way he's describing marriage is that we are to be personally and intimately fulfilled with by one another. Because the culture wants to pull us apart and God wants to bring marriages back together. And so he talks about that, that idea of remaining there in that role. Verse 8, I just, I'm just doing a survey here. But I say unmarried and to the widows, those who are unmarried and widows, it's a good for them to remain even as I am. So Paul affirms that one can remain as a widow. One can remain as a single. As long as God has you in that role and that place. It's up to God. See, each and every time we see this. Verse 11, again. We see it again. We see remain, she remains unmarried. That is, a woman who might be married to a husband that doesn't have the same faith as her. There's a, there's a, there's a difference of faith in the, in the marriage. One has found Christ, the other hasn't. One may be going to church, the other hasn't, is not going to church. Maybe they're both going to church, but they're totally different places. And Paul says, don't leave, remain where you are. There's a value to that as well. Do you see that over and over and over again? He's affirming where you are in life. And I appreciate that because it widens the family. Um, I can, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. 12, uh, 12, all the way. The Lord says if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her and vice versa. There it is. Remain in that situation. Verse 17. I like verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let that person walk. There's a moral obligation for us to continue walking as God has ordained us to walk in the condition we find ourselves that has assigned us. He's called us to it. So there's a spirituality to it. In verse 26, we continue. Um, we read another passage here in 26. It is good for a man to remain as he is. We see it over verse 39. Same thing. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be remarried to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So again, remain where you are until things change. And so over and over again, we see this idea. But here's, here's one of the challenges of our, 
that we face as a church community and a church family is our culture seems to kind of value marital status. Do you ever notice that when you fill out an application, it always asks your marital status, and then you have lots of boxes to check, and you always feel like there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. Don't you feel that sometimes? You're in a doctor's office and you're filling out your medical records and you have to indicate your marital status. And it's almost like, am I going to get this one right or wrong? I think we live in an ultra, ultra hyper culture that values marriage over singleness or living as a widow or alone. We have raised marriage above all other options. And Paul, this is really important. This is the big idea this morning. That Paul teaches us all stages of life are valuable and honored in the family of faith and social structure of the church. Do you believe that? I really want us to see that this morning. We are all valued. Whatever state you're in right now, you are part of the community of faith, the family of God. And it, it may change, it may not change. God affirms marriage for life in this passage. Um, God affirms singleness as a choice. Um, God affirms the honor of one who has lost their spouse that's now living as a widow as part of the community of faith. And maybe, and I believe also in this passage, Paul is recognizing and honoring the fact that some have gone through divorce and they, that's not the course they wanted to go, but they found they're finding themselves now in a new place in their life. And, and Paul wants to include them in the community as well. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that Paul is addressing each and every one of us in the community of faith. That he values us, all of us, to have that sense of dignity to honor one another in whatever stage we are. Or even place we are. It may not even be a stage because it may be where you will be for the rest of your life. And Paul says that's okay. Each is honorable. In fact, your status does not impact your spirituality or your value in the community. And Paul wants to make it really clear that spirituality is not based upon your marital status. Um, your life circumstances may change. Great. Things may change. There's no question that that happens in the community of faith. To each one of us, as God leads, as it says, God's the one leading. God's the one who's... We're going to the Lord to ask Him. But we're focusing on a few things. Um, this whole idea of church as a family. Joe Hellerman wrote a great book called The Ancient Church's Family. And in this book, he talked about the reason why... Christianity expanded the way it did. And he said it was, be, it was because within this idea of the church, there was deeply embedded the social structure of the early church community as family. The way the New Testament describes the church is family. And because of that, it expanded. There was a powerful impact across culture where there were broken down families and there were people that were pushed out and marginalized and what we find over and over again in the new testament is that we don't marginalize anyone we bring people together in the community of faith the church is one of the unique 
environments in our culture where everyone is welcome because we're all under the hand of God, the grace of God who wants to grow us up as children. Each and every one of us, young people, junior hires, high schoolers, college students, our, our, our young families, uh, all the way along the line, everybody, widows, those that have gone through divorce, the family metaphor was at the forefront of Paul's thinking about the church in Corinth. Paul expected his, his readers to live out the, this idea. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, the key, I believe, is that the church was divided. And how do we kind of bring the church united? Well, it's about talking about the family. I was talking to someone this last week and they were mentioning their friend that really loves our church but doesn't attend our church but and if they went to church they would come to this church i thought that was really interesting and 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 the question was why why would you come to this church versus that church or any other church or not go to church it was because i respect the way they live out their faith and belief and leave room for others there was an openness a real openness and I don't think those are opposed to one another. You living out your faith according to God's word and being open to including others in the community of faith. Those are not opposed. Whoever came up with the idea that those are opposed, I think they're wrong. It is Paul brings us all together in 1 Corinthians 7. She went on to say that people see our relationships with one another, our families. They see them. They, they see the way we relate to one another and how we relate in community, in the culture around us. And that is attractive. So how do we do that? I just wrote down three things, and these are the three things that I, I really want you to take away from our passage about remaining where you are. Number one is be fulfilled in whatever stage God has you in. Be fulfilled. That's number one, is be fulfilled. I'm going to mention two others. Work through the challenges that each stage brings. There are challenges to each stage. And then finally, be committed to undistracted devotion to the Lord. Our highest value is our, dis our, our devotion to the Lord. And so the first one is be fulfilled. And as we read through 1 Corinthians 7, which we don't have enough time to do and get into all the nuances and all the different um, roles that we play, understand that what Paul is driving at is be fulfilled in whatever role you play in the very first six verses he's talking about intimacy and marriage and being fulfilled in that marriage there's nothing better than a great marriage in fact i've heard it once said that a happy wife is a happy life right we know that and when we are together on the same page and and we're connected and we're relating there's nothing more fulfilling be fulfilled in that relationship if that's where you are and that's where you find yourself. Your kids will one day bless you for having a great marriage. I have found that to be true even in my own life. And then Paul talks about in verse 7, those that are single, the singleness. And Paul mentions the fact that it's a gift, a charisma. Isn't that interesting that Paul would reference singles and he would say, whether you have the gift of celibacy or God has given you the charisma, the gift of being single... It's a gift. I mean, you ever put it that way? Have you ever seen it uh, described that way? Um, Tommy Olson gave me an article from Point Loma uh, College. The Viewpoint is their online magazine. 
And in the viewpoint, there was an article this just this month called The Gift of Singleness. And I really appreciated hearing college students speak of the value of singleness and how sometimes they feel a struggle in the context of church of being accepted. And there's not an open conversation and dialogue and value. We feel like we're part of the JV team. And that's just not the way Paul's describing it because he gives it a gift category. It's a charisma. It's a gift. Be fulfilled in that. In fact, I love, my favorite line from the article was that, that even single people use KitchenAids. So get them nice gifts. It's like just because someone is single, you, you don't have to save your money and not give them something nice. They're people too. You know, and, and they cook, and they cook well, and they live their life just like married people do. And Bill's going to go into this next week, and I think this is a great conversation for us to have. The role of singles in the context of the church. Be fulfilled in that. And then in verse 16, Paul talks about being married to someone who doesn't hold the same faith. And in the culture, what was going on is that there were married people that felt like it was so important to be married to to the person that has the same faith as me, I guess maybe I should divorce them or leave them. And Paul says, don't do that. In fact, be fulfilled even in the context where there's not a similar faith in the home. That Paul values that because what he says is that whoever is the married one that has the faith has the ability, listen to this, to sanctify the other one and the children in the family. That you, as a married person who has faith in Christ, You play a key role, not only in the church, but your own family, because Paul says that through you, you bring sanctification through the believing husband and to your children. I find this in um, in, uh, verse 14, 15 of chapter 7. That this, this idea of holy, you bring a holiness, you bring a covering of God's holiness over your family. Don't leave that situation. Reminds me of, of someone that I worked with when I was back in Chicago at Willow Creek was uh, Lee Strobel. And Lee Strobel has a remarkable story of how he came to faith. Uh, and he wrote Case for Christ, and it became a documentary. If you haven't seen the story or the movie about um, Lee Strobel's conversion of faith, but he was a writer for the Chicago Tribune, and he set out basically to write the reason why he doesn't believe Christianity is true and why you need to believe in science and that there is no such thing as God. And Leslie, his wife, they got married, and she comes to faith in Christ, attends this church. And he's really upset, and they're struggling. And he actually wrote a book about um, their life story, about how they work together and work through this. And Lee ended up coming to Christ through his wife, Leslie. And she maintained the role of a wonderful wife who loves her husband, committed to the family, and her faith. And Lee saw that and was won over by her love, won over by her heart. It's a great story. Be fulfilled. And so in whatever role, even as a widow, be fulfilled in that role. Accept the love that you receive from others and that you're part of a larger family and that you're part of a family just because you are no longer with your spouse doesn't mean you're not part of a larger family and play a very, very important role. 
And we need to have our eyes open to all those that are in our community in those roles. The second thing I wrote down is work through the challenges. There are challenges. Work through the challenges of each one of these stages. And, and there are certain challenges. I, would th I was thinking of marriage, and, and marital intimacy is so important. And I remember as a young person married, I heard it said once that you, you fall in love and you fall out of love. You don't just one day wake up and say, I'm no longer in love with my spouse. You fall in love. You, you, you work at it. You spend time. It's often time and intimacy and communication that builds the foundation for the marriage that you're about to go in. And guess what happens? When those things are removed and when you no longer focus on those, what happens? As you fell in love, you fall out of love. So it means you could fall back in love. In fact, less, um, Le um, uh, less and Leslie, it's very confusing, Parrot. They're less and Leslie Parrot are, are marriage counselors. And many years ago, they wrote a book called Your Time Starved Marriage. And they talk about the fact that one of the keys to marriage is when you stop spending time with one another. What happens is you begin to fall apart. You just, you, you drift. There's a drifting. There's a challenge. And Paul addresses that, that intimacy needs to be put back into the marriage through time. You ever notice, and they put in their book, notice when you go on a vacation with your spouse, all of a sudden the intimacy comes back. Why? Because you're spending time. You're spending a lot of time. You're, you're, you're focusing on one another. All of a sudden the intimacy comes back into the relationship. It's like, ah, where would where'd that come from? Spending time. Focusing on one another. I wrote down some marriage busters. Things that I think are challenging in a marriage. Um, and I wrote down differences, discouragement, and desires. Three Ds. The first is we see things differently and all of a sudden we just start arguing. We just argue and argue and arguing. You know what? And we, we need to recognize the fact that we can have difference of opinion and we can still love one another and accept and, and, re, and respect one another in a marriage. You can hold difference of opinion. You just need to work that through. The second thing I wrote is discouragement. We just get disappointed. We're discouraged by things in the relationship. And we get to this place of total discouragement and our hearts just feel like they're just discouraged. And that's where we just need a, just, a, a, just an infiltration of God's word and encouragement from others. And sometimes a marriage counselor, what they bring is encouragement. I remember we went to marriage counseling earlier in our marriage. They say it at five years is a critical point in a marriage. And we went to a marriage counselor and they, and, and they said, well, what's going on? And we just both started crying. It's just so discouraged. And what we found is the, the counselor brought encouragement back to our marriage. You can do this. You can do this. You're not the only ones. Everybody goes through these things. These are common issues. I mean, it was so encouraging to hear that. I wrote down a, a third area, and that is desire, uh, desires, unmet desires. We're just not meeting each other's needs. One of my favorite books on marriage, His Needs, Her Needs describes the needs of a man and the needs of a woman so that we look at those differences and we say, well, I want to meet your needs. Well, what are your needs? Well, let me look at the top needs. And, and, and your spouse says, well, I want to meet your needs. They're different than my needs. But we begin to understand one another and we begin to close the gap on unmet desires. Celibacy. It's a real challenge to be a celibate person 
in if you have the gift of celibacy as Paul had. It's a rare gift. There's challenge. There's no question there's going to be challenges um, of aloneness and feeling isolated and learning how to become part of a community of faith, though you're not married and don't desire to be married. Your value, you're valued in that. And wait till I get to my third point. And I was thinking of singles. Just the passion and desire for companionship is a real challenge for singles. And my encouragement is to slow the process down. It was the best thing in our marriage relationship is to take some time to build the relationship, to enjoy our singleness, to go on some trips alone, to get involved in mission trips, all the kinds of things that Denise and I were able to do while we were single that we would not be able to do while we were married. We took advantage of those things. Those are good things. And yet there's a deep desire within your heart to be married. That's a good thing, but yet slow it down. That's a challenge. How do you slow it down so you make the right decision based upon what God wants for you? Married to an unbeliever? No question there's a challenge there of respecting a spouse that doesn't hold the same faith as yours. But respecting them for their position. Respecting them for where they are at and what they believe. And not saying, well, I believe what I believe is right and what you believe is wrong. But, but love them and accept them. There's a real challenge in a marriage where there's not an equal faith. And yet, what Paul is saying, work through that challenge, demonstrating love and compassion. Divorce, what Paul says is attempt reconciliation. If one leaves, let them leave, Paul says. But if at all possible, reconcile. When when someone comes to me and says, would you do my wedding? We were previously married. And I said, well, Tell me, tell me the story. Tell me what happened. My first question is, is reconciliation possible? Because that's what Paul says. Can you reconcile? I, I've done a wedding. I did a wedding where I got to, at the very end of the wedding, saying, now for the second time, I would like to introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Jones. And they have been remarried. They were divorced, separated, divorced, and now reconciled and remarried. It was a beautiful wedding. See, it's possible. I believe that's possible. In some cases, it's not possible. Someone is left and remarried, then remarry. If reconciliation is no longer on the table. Those are challenging things that we have to deal with as a church. Um, so many things. And the final thing that I want to say this morning as we close, which I think is so important that we need to keep in, um, in the forefront of our mind, it goes to something that is said here in 732, all the way down to 732. And... Down here in 732, I want you to be free from concern. One who's unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may or she may please the Lord. But the one who's married is concerned about the things of the world and how they may please his wife. Paul's not saying that one is better than the other. It's just that that's reality. You have multiple complications, more issues, more responsibilities when you get married. I love my son's, my son's favorite line is, uh, married life is really hard because you got to be an adult. It's a lot of adult decisions you got to make, like make sure there's insurance on the card, uh, on the cars, right, and pay the bills and all sorts of stuff. Um, but Paul says if you're single, you don't have those particular challenges. 
Your interests are not as divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what I appropriate, uh, appro- appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul's greatest objective for us is to be undistracted in our devotion to the Lord, whatever stage of life we are in or whatever role we play. Devotion to the Lord. That's why my third point is be committed to the undistracted devotion to the Lord. Free from the concerns, even in the context of whatever situation you find yourself in. Do we have this unholy devotion to the Lord? That's where I want to leave you this morning. Um, I wrote down 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 3, that Paul again comes back to that idea in his second letter and says that we were led astray by the serpent. Remember in the Garden of Eden how Eve was led astray by the craftiness of the serpent. He says, don't be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A pure and devotion to the Lord. And I think what Paul is talking about, he says the thoughts, your thoughts, your your noose is your mind. Your, your mind is focused on devotion to the Lord. How do we do that? Well, Paul mentions, number one, your calling in verse 17, that we are all called into the family of God. That's what we have in common. Focus on the fact that you've been called into a family by Christ. And second, remain. The idea of remain as being this idea that we find contentment. And when we find contentment with where we are, we're truly devoted to Christ. So maybe remaining is abiding in the Lord in whatever external circumstance you might find. And so in this beautiful family of faith, in this large group of people that represent lots of different roles in different places, I want us to understand whether you're married, single, widowed, celibate, we are all valuable, every single one of us. It doesn't change your spirituality. It doesn't impact that. We are, con- we are all called to a pure devotion to Christ in our minds, our hearts, and our actions. Stay devoted. Continue to stay devoted. Find greater fulfillment in your place is one of the best ways we can do that, is to pour into the place that God has you in your devotion to the Lord and watch the fruit that comes through that. Let's pray together. So, Father, thank you for some very, very challenging content here. And I just thank you, Lord, that um, you have shown us the way of how to be a church family, that it respects and honors one another, that... Um, allows us to love one another, um, to find our role in the community, and, uh, and Lord, most importantly, to continue to be devoted to you no matter where we are in life. We can be devoted to you, and that's what Paul's saying. Pure devotion to you, it is not determined based upon our role or where we are in life. And I love that. It frees us up. It allows us to, to lean into where we are, and uh, to find ways that, God, God, you want us to uh, excel in, in the place that we find ourselves in. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, we're going to continue, uh, and uh, we're going to have some worship, and we also have communion. So we've set up some communion, and the way we close communion is beautiful. We just invite you to get up where you are when you're ready to receive the bread and the juice that represent the, the flesh and the blood of Christ sacrificed for us to enable us to come into the church family. We come into the family of faith through what we call communion, what, what communion represents, and that is the sacrifice of Christ. We're all equal when we go to the table. We're all part of the family when we go to the table because of the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Christ. So let's do that. And then as we close our time of worship and song, uh, we're going to meet right behind um, the, our worship team, and we're going to go out and pick some trash up. So if you're willing and desire to do that with us, uh, just meet right there, and Tommy will be there. <laughs>